We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. As usual, stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes, and all of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, thanks for listening. Now, on to my guest for today, Perry Zhang, founder and CEO of Cashflow Portal. Perry started working as a software engineer in 2010, working for fast-growing companies like Twitter and Lyft. Five years into his career, having reached the position of engineering manager, he started investing in real estate. First, he bought a house and lived in it, renting out the other rooms. He repeated this a few times and gradually accumulated more properties. Ultimately, he decided to take a bigger step of investing in multi-unit property, which required bringing on investors. He found, however, the process of basic tasks like obtaining signatures and transferring money was inefficient. This led him to hire a team to develop a software program that people like himself could use. Ending up, that ended up being Cashflow Portal. Perry didn't dive headfirst into being an entrepreneur. As a manager at Lyft, he could afford to invest in the company and pay employees while continuing to work. He bootstrapped the company for the first year and a half until he saw that he had a viable product. Once he started to work on attracting investors in order to grow his company, he decided it was time to become a full-time entrepreneur, and he now has a clear vision of where he and his company are headed. Now, let's get better together. Perry Zhang, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. I'm just so happy to have you here as well. You are the, what are you, the CEO, founder of Cashflow Portal? Yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. And Cashflow Portal is all about investing in real estate. And I'm going to totally butcher that. So I'm going to have, I'll have you, you know, talk about it. Um, but what I wanted to do, which I find really fascinating is um, 
how what you're trying to do is applying technology to raising funds for mm -hmm. buying property. A lot of people are into that. There's a lot mm -hmm. of lot of stuff in the real estate development space, especially in the real estate tech space. And mm -hmm. I'm interested in this. And I think it's just an interesting way to apply technology and of course, all of your expertise. But before mm -hmm. we get into all that, as I always like to say, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today. Sounds good. I I will give a short version, uh, maybe a median uh, length version. I graduated in 2010, became a software engineer. Then 2015, I bought my first condo. I house hacked that condo by living in one bedroom and rent out the other two. Then I start buying more single families in Seattle, also by house hacking them, by living in a, buying a five bedroom, living in one of them, renting out the other four rooms. I kept doing that for four to five houses while still working as a software engineer in a high-tech firm. Then I start buying multifamily. And on my first deal, we bought a 172-unit apartment complex, which is a large deal in Dallas, Texas. We raised $4.3 million from 70 investors. I remember sending out 70 DocuSigns for them to sign the legal contracts. They sent it back. I extract the investment amount on my spreadsheet. I countersign it. I send them the wire instructions. They wire the money. Then I send another email saying that their money has been received. Coming from a software engineer background, I felt that was very inefficient and we could do it better. The solutions at the time were extremely expensive. To pay for such a software, it's $1,000 a month which wow. is $10,000 a year. Yeah, wow. And it is for customers that have more than five properties under, and we only have one property, a bed's a large one. Mm -hmm. So I decided to take things into my own hands by start developing on the software. I built a team of a very small team with three, four engineers. I still work as a full-time engineering manager in a tech company. Then about a year later, we had a good product. We start, we were talking to customers all the time during that year to get customer feedback and whatnot and beta users. And it wasn't until a year and a half later that I started taking off. And now we are a company of 16 uh, people, uh, 300 syndicators on the platform, 300 customers, uh, 2,500 plus investors, and we are growing 50%. Uh, month over month. And we are a, at this point, we are a mid six figure uh, revenue, which is pretty good in the last six months of growth. Wow. Talk about finding a need and filling it. <laughs> like this is so painful. You know, th this is what I always tell people that, because I have an engineering degree too. And uh, mm -hmm. I always tell people that engineers are lazy and they're like, well, what do you mean they're lazy? And I'm like, no, they're really lazy. And they're like, I don't understand. I see these guys working 12, 15 hours a day, seven days a week, just totally like engrossed <laughs> in what they're doing. And I said, yes, but if there is something that's manually done and it takes, it maybe takes an hour, mm -hmm. engineer will spend two days trying to automate it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's what I do. You're, because you're right. It's like, why would I not 
have, mm-hmm. especially if I'm going to be repeating this over and over again. And I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because um, I'm doing this something similar with this company I started called the Story Funnel, and it's about how to tell stories, um, helping startups tell grow by telling better stories. And 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 one of the things that's like, okay, we need to build some software, you know, but it's like which software to build first? I I don't know, right? So I had to really, this was really so hard. Like I have all these manual processes I go through. I'm just cringe. <laughs> like, oh, another spreadsheet. So I love, I love the fact that you sort of bootstrap this, you know, kind of side hustle. Um, really is a wonderful story of how, you know, there's always the, a lot of people always ask, I'm sure they ask you like, oh, I want to yeah. do my own company. How do I do That's it? right. That's right. Um, and it sounds like the way you did it was side hustle, work at your day job until you found. So how how did you come to that conclusion? A lot of people will just up and quit, right? And I love the I love your approach because it's something I think a lot more people should do. That's a great question. My competitive advantage was I had a high paying job. I was working at Lyft, which also went IPO. And I joined Live when there were like 300 people. And when I quit, it was 3,000 people. So I saw this 10x you know, company grow. So I had equity and I was getting paid a lot. So I do believe that successful people, uh, not that I am successful, but I do see that successful people are actually very risk averse. They actually do always have a plan B. But they're also very brave when they do see product market fit. And for me, my calculation was that I will not make any money for the next year and a half. My net worth will not increase. My liquidity will not increase. And if the startup doesn't work well, I will put all the post-tax money that I make from Lyft into growing the startup. And if the startup doesn't pan out, I stay where I am. I get rid of the startup and my life continues. That was my calculus in coming out with the decision because I didn't want to, yeah. So that was the the rationale at the time. But the advantages that I saw afterwards by doing so is I never coded in this startup, uh, which is excellent uh, because the alternative is to quit my job and write that first piece of software myself. I'm not a bad engineer, but if, at equilibria, I'm not going to write code if the company is successful, that I shouldn't be writing code from the beginning. That's that's one. In hindsight, that's a benefit because I start with a team. I hire people first and I have that skill set because I was an engineer manager. And now the people that I hired from the very beginning were still with us two years later because they really, really like the growth of the company. So that turned out to be a benefit. The second thing, which I only found out later, is that it really, because you're not taking anyone's money, it does relieve the pressure of, of that you're trying to make something work in a short amount of time. And that's not necessarily healthy because that kind of pressure could lead you into making bad choices. Whereas for me, is I, I told myself that the startup is self-sustaining, literally, indefinitely, as long as I work at Lyft. 
because I can make all my money and then put it into the startup and it has infinite run rate. That's I had 99 problems, but cash flow is not one of them. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a really good point. Right. So psychologically, I said the trade-off is the company will always survive at this rate uh, because I can pour money into it. Uh, I have infinite amount of time. Uh, it's not that risky for my personal finance. And if it's successful, I can raise C round at a much higher valuation. Mm. The downside is that I will be so busy for the next year and a half. And that turned out also to be true. And so I was sacrificing financial stability. I was sacrificing my emotional stability for financial stability. That's not a trade-off that everyone should make, um, but I I did that decision. The third point I want to say is for a lot of people thinking about doing startup. I have this mantra that if you are not willing to put in and work 80 hours a week on both jobs for at least six months, you are not passionate enough about your startup. Someone told me that. I think that's true. It's true in my case. After a while, your passion for the startup actually becomes an obsession. It just, you start thinking about it every day. And at some point you say, I'm actually not as excited about my day job as I am about the startup. It's time to quit. But if you quit too early, it's not healthy for the startup or for yourself, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, when, so you mentioned a little bit about when you did quit. I mean, what was mm-hmm. the calculus on the decision to quit? I mean, mm-hmm. I know you, you you briefly touched on it, but I'd like to hear your thought process yeah. on that because- I mean, I love I love that heuristic of, hey, for the next six months, I'm working 80 hours a week on mm-hmm. 40 on my day job, 40 on my startup. Like, mm-hmm. I'm this is what's going to happen. Actually, mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting, you know, heuristic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then also like unsustainable, clearly, because <laughs> you're like, I have no life. I have no nothing, you know, like, but again, like you're a good point. Like if, if it's the passion starts to be obsession, I like, I love that. I love the way you put that. But, but when was the point where you're like, man, it's time to go all in on the startup. The time to go all in is when you start seeing traction. And a lot of times I make decisions based on my intuition and heart than rather on core data. When I first started, I told myself I'll probably quit two years or three years into the business. I heard some statistics that it takes three years to find product market fit or that it takes three years to generate meaningful revenue. I still believe that's true. I end up quitting about a year and a half into building the startup. Now, the first half of that year and a half, it was a lot of product building. The second half of that is a lot of organic growth. We did zero Facebook ads and Google ads during this entire time. We still haven't done any of ads. Mm. Everything has been this virality effect Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. when you send out the link to raise money, investors see it, they tell their friends, and then other syndicates start using it. They're just some intrinsic virality effect. When I was ready to quit, it was both the external factor and also a internal decision. External factor, I used my own software to raise money. It was 336 unit, also in Dallas, Texas. And that was a big success. 
And people said that your software is so much easier to use. I've used a lot of them and I can just easily sign up and create an account and go ahead and invest in your deal. Then I was in multiple mentorship group programs and they, my coaches start using it and oh. their investors love it. Then wow. the next coach start using it. Then the next coach start using it. And then as soon as I raise money, the next two months, we onboard like 10 customers. And then their investors start using it. And then I talk to myself, there's so much support at this point. I cannot do this on my own. So then I, I quit and then raise money. Um, but at that point, the startup was much, much de risk compared to a year and a half ago. And yeah. at that point, I put in 500K of my own money at that point. So wow. it was time to, time to raise money. <laughs> wow. Interesting. I mean, I like the fact about the whole viral and, you know, I'm a big fan of advocacy, you know, like creating rabid fans for your stuff because they're the, out of all the marketing things you can do, that's the highest ROI. I, I can't think of anything higher than that. And, you know, this is one proof point. Like if you've got really satisfied customers and they're like, gosh, I got to tell all my buddies about this. Whoa. Like you've, you, you're, you're, you're getting product market fit pretty darn quickly. And, you know, then, then it's all about the other types of strategies like organic. And you mentioned, you don't even do Facebook ads or Google ads. And, you know, I'm always of the opinion that, that stuff's a waste of money until you've got product market fit and you're scaling. I, I mean, my, my thing is, and this is probably heresy, <laughs> but if yeah. you're, if you're not doing seven figures in revenue, yeah, you're not, you can't play the ad game very effectively. That's right. Um, I think you should spend most of your time on content and Same building, here. building rabid customers. And uh, it's just so fascinating. Like, Boy, what a what an interesting like journey so far. I mean, and for a relatively, you know, I wouldn't say, I mean, I'm sure it's a very sophisticated product, but it's like the, the need is so clear, right? Like you, you, you felt this is the perfect example of I felt this pain. It's a festering pain. You know, I want it, I want to do deals better. You're, you know, you're doing it better, faster, cheaper. And helping people do this. Cause I, I also think that the whole idea of investing in property and making it more accessible, mm -hmm. I think creates that generational wealth that we so sorely need right now. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Have you, how are you? So you, you mentioned your six figures now, what, what's sort mm -hmm. of the plans for the future? How, how are you thinking about growth and, you know, I'm just fascinated how that, cause it's like bootstrapped to here. And then mm -hmm. you're like, What's the what's the growth plan? Yeah. So a little bit more cutter about our startup. Mm -hmm. We got into Y Combinator um, and I got in as a solo founder. Uh, we also raised $4 million before we got into YC. And I used Cashflow Portal to raise money for Cashflow Portal. That was super cool. Um, oh, neat. So, yeah. Kind of yeah, like, so, uh, what is it called? What's that one platform? Uh, Angelus. Angel list or uh, what's it called? Something Carta. start Carta. Something start start. It's a new one. Okay, I see. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. there's a there's a bunch of these um, equity crowdfunding platforms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. That's really cool. So, so our customer persona is a real estate syndicator and real estate investor. We will not use the our software actually to help startups manage their cap table. 
uh, we only care about the investors and real estate investors. So then from that sense, our next, our long-term, long-term vision is ca- cash flow portal. Cash flow is the brand. The portal is just a feature. We will have cash flow investing, which allows anyone to invest in any deal. Cash flow wallet, which is an extension of investing where you can put money into the wallet. Then cash flow underwriting that allows syndicators and investors to underwrite different properties. Cash flow management, cash flow KPIs that helps property managers keep track of their expenses. Cash flow lending, which should be our own lending department so that you can turn cash flow legal. So that is sort of a five, six, 10 year vision. The median term vision is that we one, we are actually creating a marketplace and that's taking off also like crazy where syndicators can create biographies and passive investors can go on the site and to look for syndicators in that market, in the market they're interested in, and then just add themselves to the syndicators database so that they can be alert of upcoming open deals that the syndicator has. In short, we are like CrowdStreet for small syndicators. Interesting. Yeah, almost like Angel's List for real estate. Yes. (laughs) Interesting. Wow. I mean, that's a pretty bold vision. I mean, I can see, wow, like just like connecting the dots on that is such a, it's like almost like the 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 uh the bundle debundle model like you know you go look at like a Wells Fargo or some big massive company and then you just like unbundle all the features they have and you just see okay what's the beachhead and it looks like your beachhead was you know what small investors in real estate is a such a pain in the in the you know what I had this problem gosh there's got to be a better way mm-hmm. and you're like I'm gonna build the better way. Hmm. Hmm. I like that. I like the, the thought process. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of founders, a lot of entrepreneurs, they, they sometimes just get fixated on the first product, mm-hmm. which fair, like you have to focus, but what, what part of your, like, how did, how did you break that mold? I mean, what, what was the, I mean, is there something in your background that says, well, I can build this, but gosh, what else can I build? Is it just, cause it, cause a lot of people, to be honest, I talked to a lot of people, they don't have that kind of like in 10 years, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> you you know? know, that's a great question. I never thought of myself as a visionary. I still don't think it might be the fact that I used to work at Lyft and I talked to product managers and I'm always so impressed by how they could turn a chicken into a phoenix. They can talk the hell out of anything. And I always thought I was very down to earth and bottom lined it and very realistic. So I don't necessarily feel that I had the vision to this 10-year vision. However, I am literally the ideal customer for my own product. I am Mm. a syndicator with 850 units. I care about raising money. 
I don't know who I can raise money from. I have friends who are on the other side of the table. They work in tech. You know, they make half a million dollars a year as a mm-hmm. couple in tech. Mm-hmm. They easily have $50,000 to $100,000 to invest. All they can do is put it in this, into stock market and crypto, none of which they are very, very comfortable with. And they are desperately looking for the best allocators in real estate. If they want to invest in real estate, what do they do? They save up $200,000 to buy a rental property in Seattle. I can almost guarantee that $200,000 will not make the same returns as if you put it into a really good syndication in Texas with a good operator who knows what they're doing who has the time to do what they do and is incentivized to do a good job like that. I just know for sure. But the problem is that those investors cannot find these indicators. Access is something that technology can solve. And that's something I'm good at. Uh, Something that I have experience with is I can, I know how to create technology. I was a software engineer manager. So then I connect the dots. I need it. I know my friends need it. It's very bold. It's it's a little bit crazy, but <laughs> it's it's like if I don't do this, you know, right now I have a choice. I could go up market by selling it to more syndicators, and not everything is rainbows and sunshines, right? I can sell it to a bigger syndicator. Well, guess what? Bigger syndicator want a white label solution. Yes, they want their brand, they yes. want their logo to be on the page, and I said. I could either create a marketplace or I can go up market. And I decided to go to marketplace. Now, it might be the wrong decision, but nobody is doing marketplace. And maybe that there's a reason people are not doing it and I'm not seeing it. And I literally was talking to my leadership team. Uh, like I only have one uh, other person that, that we're chatting that I said, I think I will have the least regret by doing marketplace. Even if I'm successful by going up market, I always felt like we can create more value with a marketplace that will empower small syndicators to raise more money so they can do a better job on their real estate projects, which then provides financial freedom for their family and their investors. And that's a much more feel-good enterprise than trying to go up market. So, So I decided that I have better product founder fits in that direction. So yeah. it's not easy. It's no. not like I no. this will be successful either. Right. I like I like the idea of product founder fit. I had heard that at before, where there's product founder fit, product skill fit, product market fit. I mean, you know, everyone's got to do all that. And what what's super interesting is um, you know, having that kind of core strategy. I would say it's an ethos, honestly. That says, hey, I want to help more people access this type of investment. And I want to make it because there's no reason why you can't do this. I mean, even when you invest in stocks or startups, like, you know, the government says, oh, you have to be worth a million bucks. You have, I mean, you're like, really? Like, I can't put a couple of grand in my buddy's, you know, startup and, yo, oh, you got to be a certified investor. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, actually, mm-hmm. because it's all for the people that have all the money, right? <laughs> it is It is really cool that, you know, you're trying to build a marketplace and build a tool and like have people have that access to, 
you know, generate some, some family wealth, generate some generational wealth for themselves. And honestly, the other thing that's interesting about real estate too, um, like you mentioned, you know, syndicators and people that actually know how to manage them. You know, I actually, my family owned 54 units uh, in Lawrence, Kansas. Okay. Um, which is another kind of market, right? And so we did that as it was a family investment, you know, exactly like what you talked about, this much money down or whatever, and had someone run it. And, you know, everyone's like, why are you buying in parts or like in Lawrence, Kansas? Like, why can't you just buy in the Bay Area? And and exactly, <laughs> and this is the thing that was the the thing I that the guy that helped me with this taught me. He's like, look, for the amount of money that you're you can invest, you can buy one single family home or duplex, <laughs> right? Yes. And he's like, he's like, you're a numbers guy. You're like you got an engineering degree. He's like, okay, so let's just look at probability. You know, if, if you can't find renters, if you can't, like your risk is highly variable on your input. Like you could get a right. lot, don't get me wrong. And maybe yeah. it's a good idea. Yeah. He's like, but if you've got 54 of them and you have someone that manages it, you spread the risk out. And I thought that is such a good idea because it's true. Yeah. And the other thing I think that a lot of people don't understand. And I mean, I live in San Francisco and everyone yeah. hates landlords here and investors. Right. Like right, it's right, just this right. eve. They're like, they're not evil people, honestly. Right. A lot of right. them, you know, a lot of the environment is because of the laws that are made here. Like that's right. Right. That there's really not a free market here. That's right. And but what I realized is that there's a there's a need for housing. Mm-hmm. There's a need for, you know, I always when I was talking to my my property manager, you know, we would talk about like we're going to raise rent, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. How do we want to fix this? Want to fix that? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as an owner, right? I personally my ethos was I want a place that people are going to love like to live and I I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. take, you know, I'm going to take care of yeah. them. I'm not I'm not going to be some, you know, yeah. That is normally the attitude of the small investor, the family, the people that's that right. are like, that's right? right. That, that's that right. like, that's right. I'm, you know, the first generation to do this. Yeah. When you're a massive company where all you are is a line on a spreadsheet, <laughs> that doesn't happen. And you see I this love it. constantly, right? I mean, this with every big company, right? As the companies get bigger and bigger, the personality the care and consideration, you're just a bunch of number crunchers. Like it's McKinsey consultants trying to eke out another couple of hundred million or whatever, like what Peloton's going through right now. Like when Peloton said, oh, we hired McKinsey to help us. I'm like, oh, great. That's a bad move. Like they're crushed. <laughs> they're done. They're going to get blocked. They're done. They're done. Because what's McKinsey going to say? It's not, it's not hard. Oh, you have a revenue problem or expense problem. I mean, come on. <laughs> There's no heart in that. The no- the numbers matter, but there's the heart behind it. And do you see that with the pe- with your with how the people that want to invest in this stuff? I'm just curious if I'm like on track or not. No, absolutely. You point out something that I was actually writing down. That I always my argument for between small syndicators versus these big private equity firms. There are many reasons. One will be. The big private equity firms are like the McDonald's of the world. They have consistency, but it's a pretty low return. And small syndicators, they're usually very local. 
they are also usually like they're like boutique restaurants with more interesting menus and you can get to see their story but you do have to do the work to hunt for them and you do have to like talk to them and fill them out and what you also point out that i i know intuitively but you put it into words is that small syndicators also have more to prove they genuinely care about the investors because that's all they have, right? And they also care a lot about the residents because this is their like third syndication. And they're like, I better do a better job. If I don't do a good job, I'm, it's over for me. Right. Whereas if you are a large private equity firm, you're making numbers by how much money you raise and you take a cut of the money raised. That's your job. And so and so I, I like the little guys. I like the little dogs. I do think that they create a better environment. And so the light bulb that came to me while listening to you is that if there are more syndicators in power to be able to raise money and do what they do, and there's like a checks and balance to make sure that they actually do a good job, then the tenants will actually have a better life because they're not like this like faceless machine that always raise rents because of this is the market rent. They will apply good judgment and good work and sweat equity to improve the property. So I, I yeah, I love what you say. Yeah, I think I think that's at the core of entrepreneurship too. You know, I think that's why I'm I'm very bullish on helping as many people as possible be entrepreneurs. I really think that you're, you know, the local community that you serve, being, you know, a community helping people out, like business is in general, you know, is a is a is actually a force for good. I think entrepreneurship were the creatives of the business world. I mean, we believe first, everyone's like, you guys are crazy. Like you're going to do what? And you're like, well, let's go. Like, I, you know, some big, you know, corporate person is going to be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You're like, yeah, where do I sign? <laughs> I'm done. Right. You know? And, and, and that's, that's the thing that's interesting is that most new jobs, net job growth are small business and entrepreneurs, businesses that have been around less than five years. Big corporations, net job growth is normally negative okay. because they, what do they do? They'll consolidate. But the thing that you got that's interesting that no one seems to understand the math about this mm-hmm. is all markets consolidate to a peak, right? They, okay. It's like it's okay. natural. Like you look at natural, you look at oil and gas and mm-hmm. even the internet. Like you mm-hmm. just see this sort of peaking. Everything kind of peaks, Right. And unless you have a counterbalance to that, and again, this is, you know, breaking up monopolies, breaking up oligarchies, you know, like really having the little guy have this access. And I loved your, I absolutely loved your quote about uh, technology can solve the access problem, like access technology can solve. That is 100% spot on. And I love the fact that more and more people are trying to figure this out. There's a company that I'm familiar with called Daily Pay. That one of my one of my uh, guys that's an NFL, a couple of my NFL player friends and guys that I work with invested in. And their basic premise is you work a day, you should get paid. Mm, right? Daily and pay. Daily pay, right? And they are growing like a weed, like great company, right? They basically are going to put payday loans out of business because payday loans, okay, look, People need it. Don't give me like if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're in a community, you're suffering. I mean, it is it is an absolute horrible existence sometimes. 
these payday loans for like 35% interest. Like daily pay is like they take, I think, single less than single digit percentage. And it's the actually the most simplest thing. It's like if you work for a company, like you mentioned McDonald's, you're an hourly mm-hmm. worker at McDonald's, mm-hmm. you sign up for daily pay. They daily pay knows you're going to get paid because it's McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep, yep. You literally sell your debt, quote unquote, mm-hmm. to them. They pay mm-hmm. you, they go after McDonald's. Yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's this two-sided marketplace, like what you're trying right. to do, roughly. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but but what's beautiful, because that's what should happen. Like if 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 a yeah. if someone that's working paycheck to paycheck mm-hmm. has access to their mm-hmm. money. So they, mm-hmm. they can pay their bills and not get fined or, I mean, right. I think right. the numbers were just like, right. it was insane how many like late fees and all this right. stuff, you know, and that's the little guy. And I think that's yeah. what you're trying to do with cash flow portal. I, I, yeah. I can really appreciate that because I do think this local, this idea of local and this mm-hmm. idea of like connection to the community. Yeah. Local. So yeah. powerful. So powerful. Yeah. Wow. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, to take to give an example, um, I have always wanted to invest in Austin, Texas. I would love to invest in an Airbnb in Austin, Texas. I just don't have the time or the network or the t- or the connections to buy the house, let alone finding an Airbnb operator to manage it. But I just like Austin. I like their coffee. I like their vibe. I feel like this. That's like Seattle five years ago. But I don't have any connections. So, you know, I would love, and you can say well, why don't I let a private equity firm um, to manage that one? The thing is, I just don't trust a private equity firm in New York City to be the best operator in Austin. I need that Austin person who know the nuances of the market. I couldn't find that right now. Right, right. No, it's the local, it's like, it's like the all politics is local analogy, uh, right? Who would you? I mean, that's the reason why you know I had the had the property in Lawrence, Kansas. Like my property manager lives in Lawrence, Kansas. Like, what do I don't know nothing about Lawrence, Kansas, other than my dad went to went to the University of Kansas for like a two semesters. That's it. But there's a but the connection is like, yeah, we know the local area. We know, and that is so absolutely powerful. And I think that's what. I mean, you know, the U.S. has got a lot of challenges, you know, full sure. stop, right? We've got pandemic. We've got all this stuff. We've got this disparity, delusionment. People are, you've got cancel culture on one end. We've got, you know, people trying to like more, you know, this freedom and the nanny state. I mean, there's all this crud basically <laughs> going on, which is all like useless in one sense, but it shows a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. And I think the bigger problem is we have taken the humanity out of business and investing, and we've taken the humanity out of the basic needs of people. Like you, like you said, some private equity firm in New York City is going to give a shit about the prop, like fifty-two units in Austin, Texas. I mean, maybe, but all they care about is like it's a literally a line item. <laughs> How come right, right, this right. isn't making more money? Raise right, the rent, right? Right, 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 right. right, right. Whereas yeah. you don't. I love that. I love that. And I do think that we have to get more back to this local focused. And I do think technology is the, is the way to do it. I think folks that can 
build the processes, build the technology, make it more accessible to as many people as possible with, of course, the safeguards and all that sort of stuff is just really, really, really important. So awesome. Well, so what what sort of questions would you have that next generation of entrepreneur ask themselves? I mean, you, you've answered a lot of really good, like your thought process and everything. And I'm curious, you know, someone's listening to this. They're like, God, Perry, I want to be like Perry. Like what questions should they ask themselves? What, what do you think? I don't believe who you are right now will become will be the person who you will be when your company is successful. So don't worry too much about your weaknesses and your defects. I never thought of myself as a charismatic person. I never thought of myself as convincing. I wish that in the first year and the first year, we, we did not have many customers. We were just literally having beta users. And I wish that I was more charismatic so I can talk them into using our product. And they didn't. They just like, you don't have all the must-haves I need. And that was it. Now, but then, so when you ask yourself, oh, I need the skill set. I don't have that skill set and whatnot. Don't worry about it. Just do something. Even if that one side hustle turned out to be a fiasco, you <laughs> at least learn something in that job. Maybe you learn how to post on Upwork and interview that freelancer, and you at least learn that one. You at least know how to build a website. You know how to do Facebook campaigns if you do that. At least you know how to build a custom domain, and you know some of the technologies behind it. The skill sets that you acquire are going to be immeasurable. So that's the first thing is if you are afraid that you are not, you don't have what it takes, you won't by definition. So to give you an example, we, I got into YC and I debated for like 48 hours. I know I should take it and we did take it. And then my friend asked me, why are you so afraid of? I said, you know, I'm afraid because if I go into YC, YC might turn me into a different person. It might make me very competitive. It might make me very cutthroat. And I don't want to be that cutthroat person. I want to be kind. I will continue to be kind. And the person said that, you know, Perry, if your company is going to be big, you by definition cannot be the same person you are today. You will grow with your company. You can still be kind. But if the company it becomes 10x bigger, you probably also need to become 10x more formidable as a founder, period. So all the skills that you're lacking, you will grow. And so I said, wow, that is true. Then do I want to become a more formidable founder? And then I said, well, I'm ready to be shaped and ready to grow. And that's why I join. It's the same. Uh, who you are today is not will not have the skill set almost by definition of who you will be at the end of that tunnel. Um, you will learn a lot whether your company will be successful or not. So that will be, yeah, the biggest one is you will have self-doubt. You will think that you may have a successful job now, now and you will be embarrassed if you fail. Uh, it is a very rewarding journey. I can say that much so far. Yeah, so interesting. So like, yeah, don't, 
if, if you're like, hey, I don't have the skill set or what skill sets do I need to do it, may not have them all, but I love the I love that and now I love the whole growing with your company. And it's actually an interesting calculus what you talked about. Like, I don't want it to change me. You know, I still want to be kind. And you know what? There's a huge temptation to change who you are because of the it's actually the pressure to grow, right? And it comes from funneling venture capital into a company, right? I mean, they're like, why aren't you growing? And you're like, you know, why, what's YC grow 10% a week or some silly, I mean, some silly number. I don't remember, Mm -hmm. but um, I was at 500 startups. So got it. similar growth hacky thing, you know, (laughs) whatever one metric that matters, whatever, you know, okay, great. (laughs) I mean, we were in a, we were in a digital health company, B2B digital health, where our sales cycle you measured in quarters and sometimes yes. years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, how exactly. am I going to growth hack this 10% a right. week? I have no right. idea. Right. Right. I, right. I mean, I was being facetious. They, yeah, yeah, I yeah, got yeah, a lot yeah. out of it, but um, right. yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad it didn't t- change it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great. And I love the whole kindness thing because I think you need to have more kind founders, more kind businesses. Doesn't mean you don't want to make money, doesn't mean you don't want to be successful. But you don't have to be cutthroat. Mm-hmm. I think that's that is at the core of the ethos, and that's the reason why we have you know have the show try to share awesome stories from founders like you that are really living the ethos. So, Perry, appreciate that. Yeah, great, great having you on, man. Good luck with Cashflow Portal. What a what a solid vision, man. Like, gosh, I'm I'm rooting for you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Perry, for the great interview. Super cool what you're doing. I love your ethos. Um, awesome to be able to, you know, talk with someone. It's got a broad, very broad and big vision. So you have a great, great big idea. So as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Perry. Perry had funds to finance his startup, but he waited until he saw it could be a viable business to quit his job. This might not be an option available to everyone, but he found this strategy enabled him to start the company without the immediate pressure of having to find and satisfy investors. And yeah, all these side hustle things are legit, right? I mean, I know a lot of people that do them on the side. Now, clearly, if you listen to Perry, he had to devote a lot of time to making this work. So you got to be willing to do that if you want to work both work a job and build your startup. So um, if you have the means and the skill, it's it's a good way to go, right? Because you're kind of managing risk. But, you know, you got to ask yourself a couple of questions. One, can I put the amount of time in needed? Two, when am I actually going to go over to full time? A lot of investors are going to be like, hey, man, you got to be full time on this or we're not going to put money in. So you really got to understand all that. Perry notes that by working at both a job and his company, he sacrificed emotional stability for financial stability. What kept him going was passion to the point of obsession for making his idea a reality. I mean, you heard him. Year and a half, two years, he was working 80 hours a week. Now, don't necessarily recommend that for everyone. But as you can see from his passion and what he was obsessed about, he really wanted to fix this problem. But he also had to make sure that he was financially you know, stable. And he was in a good position to do that. Now, a lot of people aren't, right? If you've got a family, if you've got other obligations, you know, you need to be able to understand like the limit, your limitations. So ask yourself questions like, what are the limitations I have on myself? How much money do I actually need to survive? Um, can I commit the time? How long am I going to commit the time for? So these are things you just have to 
Think about. In order to achieve your goal, you will need to become somewhat different than what you are. This doesn't mean necessarily sacrificing your values, but it does mean recognizing that you have to learn and acquire new skills to be successful. In short, move out of your comfort zone. If you fail, take the lessons you learned and move on. And it was really interesting when Perry and I talked about this because it was this kind of realization that you're never the same person <laughs> as you keep on moving through. Now, it doesn't mean that your ethics or your ethos or your morals change, but who you are six months from now is not going to be anywhere who you are today, at least if you're growing and nurturing yourself. So ask yourself the questions of what do I need to learn in the next six months? How, how am I going to acquire that knowledge? Um, you know, if I do fail, right, failure is never an option. I mean, I'm sorry, failure can be an option, but never the final result, right? We say that all the time in the ethos. It's just a learning experience. How many of these learning cycles of learning do I need to do in order to make progress, right? So, you know, and then also where's my comfort zone and how do I expand outside my comfort zone? So there you have it, the actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Perry. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.